0: Log Talk Radio
1: Hello friends, fans, and colleagues. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Karen Tate, and this is Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. Previously on the air about 11 plus years, yes, if you didn't know, the archives are still there for your listening pleasure. And now I'm back after a long hiatus, and you know what, I couldn't be happier. This is my first show since uh, around 2020, and I'm thrilled to be with you, and today's guest, Laura Perry, discussing the Minoan Solution for a Caring World. So stay tuned. Uh, We're going to begin that in uh, just a minute. And uh, also, when that interview is over, I hope you'll stay with me because I have some additional things to share uh, after the interview. So please get comfortable and, um, you know, listen in, and I appreciate uh, your listener loyalty. Remember, you can listen live uh, at 11 o'clock on Wednesdays, uh, that's 11 Pacific, or catch us any time after the show from the archives and listen there at your convenience. And uh, maybe I'm hearing the wheels of your brain turning, asking where have I been since 2020? Well, um, that's a story that's going to dribble out over the coming weeks, but suffice it to say, I was in recovery mode, and no, not from covid Uh, I'd been assaulted by a woman wielding a stun gun and my husband sustained a brain injury and circumstances forced us under a rock atop an isolated mountain, really. And I'm not kidding. It's not hyperbole. We had to go into healing and reflection mode. It was a trauma and a healing-related hiatus. I was trying to get past symptoms of post-traumatic stress and take care of my husband. There were many dark days and let me tell you the challenges were many, but in hindsight it was such a learning and growing experience. Loss definitely brings insight and wisdom if we're lucky and respond to the loss and trauma in a healthy way. You'll soon be learning about uh, the book I wrote during that time. It's called Normalizing Abuse. No doubt in some way these tragedies were catalysts for inspiration for that book. Our experience uh, caused me to to see the world through a different lens, and I'll be sharing more about that in the coming weeks uh, because I think what I tapped into uh, really sort of helps us look at the world around us and um, uh, maybe decipher things a little bit differently, you know, things we've become numb to, numb, N-U-M-B, But getting back to the show, my first in several years, um, I will let you in on a little secret. This show has always been my guilty pleasure, Um, and here's what I mean. Have you ever been annoyed listening to a podcast when the host doesn't ask obvious or great questions or they don't have an actual conversation with their guest uh, with follow-up on the last thing the guest said, uh, maybe with some back and forth? Well, you know, me too. Uh, So here I get to ask the questions so we can delve deep into topics that I carefully pick to share important insights with you, my dear listeners, so we might together learn and grow and thereby help change the world uh, so that we manifest a much needed new normal. So it bears repeating, Uh, the archives are filled with still very relevant wisdom from many foremothers and way showers, and I'm happy to say we are continuing that tradition moving forward every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, When I look over the topics uh, already covered and the wonderful guest I had the honor of speaking to, I was a little saddened to realize we still have such a long way to go. It's been one step forward, two steps back, but you know what? We're not giving up. Uh, We're going to change the world. Uh, Progress is going to be made. We are going to stay strong and tenacious. And speaking of Wednesdays, Did you know that uh, the goddess of Wednesdays, in a sense, is Tara? Uh, She's about empathy, compassion, and protection. I thought those were great qualities, uh, considering sort of the focus of this show, uh, to help us learn to create a better world. And the uh, the gods of Wednesdays, Ganesh, uh, he's the one who you call upon for auspicious beginnings. And, uh, he's the remover of obstacles. Uh, more good things for the show. And, uh, finally, some of the other gods, uh, for Wednesday. Well, uh, Odin. And uh, he's a god of wisdom along with Mercury or Hermes. Um, You know, and Mercury was messenger of the gods. Uh, They're about eloquence, new ideas, uh, all the things that I hope to be sharing um, here on the show. And also, it turns out, Wednesday is about luck and uh, increased communication. So I think I picked the right day for the show to come back. (laughs) So anyway... Uh, A shout-out is necessary to my roving reporter, Pat, who keeps me supplied with interesting articles I try to find time to share at the end of each show. And today uh, will be no different. Uh, I've got some stuff for you. Uh, So as I said earlier, please stick with me after the interview. Another shout out of appreciation to Abigail Spinner McBride, who is the artist of the music opening the show. That cut is called Am Sekhmet, as you might have guessed, an homage to our lion-headed Egyptian goddess, the lady of strength and tenacity manifested, Sekhmet, uh, whose deity, archetype, and ideal, along with Isis, who is all things and all things are she, Uh, They both helped me get through the previously mentioned challenges. And thanks to my friends whose names shall remain anonymous, but you know who you are. You listened. You helped uh, me through the darkness so I might come back into the light and recover from that emptiness of being a tree with bare branches or, um, I don't know, I've also referred to it as being a shadow of my former self, which I was for quite some time. I love you and thank you and I sent you big hugs uh, for helping me get back to normal, uh, to book writing, to feeling well, to finding inspiration and moving to another state. My new mantra is from the mystic Rumi, who said, you watched my descent, now watch me rise. So I'm back, friends, and happy to say so. Uh, And now, uh, with all of that out of the way, uh, you know, to start the show and give you a little bit of uh, explanation for everything, uh, let me tell you about my friend and guest, Laura Perry, who is doing me the honor of being my first returning guest. I know you're going to love her, and we have previous interviews in the archives, so after you listen to this, uh, scroll through the archives to hear more from this incredibly smart and talented uh, and generous woman. Uh, Laura Perry, she is a priestess and creator who works magic with words, paint, ink, music, textiles, and herbs. She is the founder and temple mom of Ariadne's tribe, modern Minoan paganism. Her spiritual practice also includes spirit work and herbalism through the lens of lifelong animism. She has published three nonfiction books, three novels, a coloring book, and a tarot deck, among all her other projects. And when she's not busy writing, drawing, leading rituals, or teaching, you can probably find her digging in the garden or giving a living history demonstration at a local historic site. So, Laura, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Up, oh, hang on.
2: You are rebooting this show. Hey. Okay.
1: Are you there, Laura? Okay, I, I felt uh, like I dropped uh, you for a second. Uh, I am Laura. here. <laughs> can you hear okay. me? Yeah, I can now. Sorry about that. My dashboard was saying you were gone, so I clicked back on you. But anyway, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am
2: excited to be here, and I am so excited and happy that you are rebooting your show.
1: I have missed it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And, you know, I am hoping the show uh, continues to be uh, something that, uh, I don't know, helps shift our consciousness, uh, help. show us that uh, there is uh, light out there to show us the way. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about, um, uh, or you have talked to me about the cycles of civilizations and the values we honor or don't uh, in a modern society. And uh, uh, so, you know, why would anyone in the modern world, do you think, be interested in the religion or culture? of an ancient civilization like the Minoans. Um, share with listeners uh, what they possibly have to offer us. Well, uh, I think the,
2: the quick soundbite version of that answer is what they can offer us is a template for improvement. The more complex answer is that um, change happens in society in In multiple layers, in multiple different ways, and part of that change has to involve the change in mindset of the people. and it's hard to think outside the box if you don't know what's outside the box, right? Um, right. So we have to look we, we have to look at cultures that are different from ours in order to find sets of values and ideals that we can use to build our better, improved world with. And personally, I think the Minoans are one of the best choices for that. Um, they're, they're not the only choice by any means. But we can learn from, from past cultures, not just the things that they did wrong, which seems to be, you know, a lot of what history class is about. Oh, let's see how they how they failed but we can also learn from cultures about the things they did right the things that they did well that are valuable that we can carry forward into our world and use as tools for healing
1: so Laura let me ask you um, I, I know I've heard the Minoan culture um, you know sort of stands out as um you know maybe an ideal culture i mean i mean not that anything is a utopia you know but it it sort of stands out among uh the best um who are some other people maybe who have pointed to the minoans uh you know for us to maybe look there um you know uh, you know is there anybody in academia or cultural historians or Anyone along those lines who also say, you know, look here, look to the Minoans? Um, it depends on, on what
2: you mean by academia and cultural historians. Um, the first person I would point to who has done um, a level of research that is valuable and has left a legacy that is uh, priceless uh, is the late, great Carol Chris. Um, and uh, her, uh, her level of research into, for instance, the sharing economy that Crete had uh, in the Bronze Age um, is uh, definitely something that we can, uh, that we can, uh, as part of the toolkit, uh, to help us do this work of building a better world. Um, mainstream archaeologists tend to avoid the kind of topic that you and I are talking about today because it is seen as political and a lot of uh, those people, regardless of how how they feel privately, um, cannot comment on this sort of thing publicly because it will endanger their jobs, keep them from getting tenure, lose some grants, and that sort of thing. That's the unfortunate condition of the academic world. Um, I have spoken with archaeologists who have told me all kinds of things off the record um, and have made it absolutely clear that if I, uh, if I were to mention their names in uh, connection with yeah. these kinds of subjects, that I could do their uh, careers damage, uh, which makes yeah. me really sad, you know, makes me well, really sad to think that that's, you know, that's the way it's set up
1: that they are
2: uh, muzzled or shackled in that way.
1: Well, yeah, there's a censorship. And actually, uh, you know, that's one of uh, the things I wrote in my new normalizing abuse book in the chapter on academia, you know, the gatekeepers to knowledge, uh, because mm-hmm. I'm reminded of Richard Wolfe, a social economist uh, who I've had on my show multiple times, who said as a professor, he couldn't talk about um, the, you know, the the good points of any economic system except capitalism if uh, he expected to get tenure. So if socialism or democratic socialism, for instance, were better than capitalism or had features that were better than capitalism that maybe we could use, um, you know, he could just kiss his job goodbye. And, um, you know, that sort of status quo, if you will, uh, is is killing us. And um, I think that's why my show exists in my mind, to help us sort of uh, have the courage to rethink everything. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm glad you and, and the folks at Ariadne's tribe uh, are out there you know, um, telling us about, you know, Crete uh, as an example uh, of, of this as well. So let me ask you, Laura, is it what made their uh, social structure, if you will, uh, do you, I mean, do we know uh, what made it uh, better? Was it, um, you know, was it their spirituality that influenced? Um, you know, do we know why they had a better system? And we'll talk about the system in a minute, but just to sort of lay the foundation if we know. Um,
2: So if we are really, brutally honest, uh, this is all uh, what you might call educated guesses and informed speculation. None of this is uh, hard evidence because we can't read the things that the Minoans themselves wrote because their script hasn't been deciphered yet. But we can make, we can compile an awful lot of evidence from the archaeological record. Um, and the the suggestion from that record is that um, while the Minoans were polytheists, just like everybody else in the Bronze Age, um, their particular brand, of, so to speak, of polytheism was a little different from that of for instance, the, uh, the Indo-European groups that were migrating into uh, westward into Europe during that era, um, the Minoans appear to have maintained uh, Neolithic religious practices into the Bronze Age, and part of that involves having a pantheon with mother goddesses at the top, or perhaps a single one or perhaps multiple ones. Um, and having, uh, having a pantheon uh, with mother goddesses at the top suggests a reflection of a culture where um, values of mothering were more important than, for instance, a culture that might have a uh, powerful father god at the top. And that culture might, uh, might have uh, high values for uh, conquest and displays of power. Um, Merlin Stone's famous book, When God Was a Woman, uh, goes into this in great detail. But typically, a a spiritual uh, practice, a a culture's religion will reflect its values. And so the, um, the concept of a pantheon with mother goddesses at the top tells us a lot, not just about Minoan religion, but about culture and values in ancient Crete.
1: Well, and, and you know, and I've, I've said that, uh, you know, when people have talked to me about, uh, you know, goddess, uh, when I'd be out there, like maybe on a mainstream interview or something, and, uh, you know, people would, uh, you know, kind of laugh at me and say, uh, um, you know well that's that's crazy that's weak um how do you, you know how would you survive uh you know a, a war uh and I think it's uh potentially because they don't understand that uh even though that mother goddess is about nurturing and caring that she also has a warrior side as well
2: yeah I think it's it's such a different paradigm that people don't know how to wrap their heads around it Um, it's like trying to describe matriarchy to a person who assumes that it's just patriarchy but with women ruling um, when in fact matriarchy or matrilineal society and cultural values um, are very different in their base underlying values Um, they see Uh, um, a mother-oriented society sees power not in displays of individual strengths but in the ability to nurture care for and support all the members of the society so that's a
1: foundational
2: difference
1: yeah and uh and you know, and I get and again, you know what you mentioned matrilineal uh societies, uh and we were talking about pushback uh heidi Gottner Abedroz, who wrote um the book about matriarchal societies, I remember she was also saying, you know she couldn't even get interviews uh because people um you know they just haven't heard about this in academia you know I mean it isn't something that they're taught uh and uh, they they don't have a way to wrap their mind around it, and they don't know that they're really kind of missing the boat uh in terms of opening their mind to uh you know to cherry pick these these um these ways of being um, to make the world a better place as if what we're living through right now is the end all be all and be better than this, right? Um, Yeah. You know, so, you know, elaborate Mm -hmm. a little bit on um, why you think there's such a push against the idea uh, that there was ever um, maybe a non-militarized Uh, gender egalitarian society if you will
2: okay well um, so so the Minoans they were not a utopia obviously Uh, no society is is perfect Um, history and humanity is way more nuanced than that but um, they do appear to have been extremely successful, economically successful for centuries um, while being entirely non-militarized with the possible exception of a merchant marine to protect their trading fleet, but definitely no uh, offensive conquering military. Um, They traded with everyone. And um, every few years, someone somewhere uh, publishes a paper uh, supporting the idea that um, the Minoans were actually a, a militarized society with a monarchy and, and all these other kinds of things that Sir Arthur Evans uh, was sure that they had. Um, and that paper will make a flurry for a very short period of time and then it will disappear into the shadows because there's no real evidence to support uh, those claims. Uh, Sir Arthur Evans insisted that the Minoans must have had a monarchy and a military, and they must have been monotheistic, worshiping a great goddess was his idea, because he could not conceive of the idea of a high civilization being substantially different from the British Empire that he was a part of because he considered his culture to be the height of civilization. And that's the kind of mindset that a lot of people have often unconsciously. We don't realize you know, our biases around this kind of thing. But The the fact that the Minoans had um, a peaceful, incredibly wealthy society, they had high technology, they had aqueducts and paved roads and enclosed sewers and indoor plumbing centuries before the Romans. Um, And people find that disturbing because it means that there's no excuse for us as a high civilization to be militarized or um, led by power-hungry people who, uh, who value their own power and that of their cronies over the well-being of all the people. So really, it says an awful lot more about us than it does about the Minoans, you know, to,
1: yeah. when we examine <laughs> people's reaction to these ideas. Well, and and I hope as we're talking, people are connecting the dots and drawing parallels to what's going on in the world today. I mean, uh, as you were talking about the, um, you know, the the one, even if it is a great goddess versus one, you know, one monotheistic god, um, I'm thinking, you know, that maybe points to uh, these people who would prefer an autocrat, uh, or dictator, uh, a strong man, so to speak, uh, to run the country rather than um, rather than democracy. Um, it, it, do you think there's a connection there? Oh, I'm sure there is.
2: Um, part of I've I've been fascinated uh, to, since about 2016, not coincidentally. I've been fascinated by the psychology behind some people's desire to have essentially a tyrant ruling them. And uh, it turns out that the psychology behind that involves insecurity and a desire to feel secure. Um, so the, uh, the, the desire on the part of some people to have A a dictator type ruler is so that they will feel like the world is in order so it's a sense of security and um, that's because our current society doesn't offer that I mean especially in the US we are very much a sort of lone wolf individualistic kind of culture Um, and there's there's very little very little comfort and not a whole lot of interconnection uh, as a cultural basis here. Um, And so you really have to, uh, you have to look at what it is that people are missing and what they're seeking. And what they're seeking is connection and comfort and security. And uh, my idea is that a, a culture, like the Minoans that had um, caring and compassion and a sharing economy as base values provides those things for people from the get-go. And so then you don't have the need for autocracy because people feel secure to start with and so they have the, the mental and emotional space to allow for a more egalitarian kind of uh, kind of
1: governance
2: if that makes any sense you know what?
1: Yeah, it does. And hold that thought, because I want to come back to this and connect caring societies to a strong social safety net. Maybe even what we saw happen with workers during COVID. Um, And I want to continue going along this line. But I have to take a little break here. uh, Because um, I have something to share from Joe Carson.
0: This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a gardenerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the Goddess and Gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the Fairy Faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Farah founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Farrah
1: Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Farrah website at org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Um, and just one other thing. I don't know if listeners uh, have discovered the Divine Feminine app. Yes, the Divine Feminine app. Uh, women have been finding uh, the Divine Feminine app each and every day since 2016 as a resource for finding local sacred circles, events, and resources. The Divine Feminine app has a new feature where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday. Go to Divine Feminine app. and register quickly, easily, and at no cost to see circles in your area to be uh, put on the email list. And as a benefit to listeners, uh, you can click on uh, Upgrade Membership and scroll down. uh, Use the code Sacred Feminine to get uh, 90-day access to entering your own featured events that will be sent to local users. And it's not just local events, but soul-filled, Sacred Feminine virtual and online events are also listed on the Divine Feminine app as well as retreats profiles podcasts uh, like here at voices of the sacred feminine and much much more so if you don't know about it yet check it out Divine Feminine app So, uh, getting back to where we were, Laura, about um, the values of uh, a caring and sharing society that we think the Minoans probably were uh, versus what we're living through today – you know, I, it, it, you know it, it always amazes me that, um, you know, people want to vote against their economic interests or they don't want things for themselves to make their lives easier. And um, it, it's almost as if um, suffering and sacrifice has been made noble. You know, on some level, you know, I, I've sort of uh, laid that at the feet of religion. Um, I mean, I, I was born in the Bible belt, uh, raised a Catholic, you see Jesus on the cross. Suffering, dying, sacrificing—you know—at the front of every church, and um, and I think that message dribbles down to our, uh, you know, into our consciousness that this is a good thing that uh, we should want to suffer and sacrifice, and uh, I can't help but think if that somehow brainwashes us or gaslights us into not expecting wanting fighting for a uh society that where our tax dollars go to a strong social safety net i mean it, it uh that's just logical to me i mean have have you given that some thought i wonder as you you know study the minoan culture i'm i'm sure that is a major aspect
2: of it and not i think it doesn't just he, people from uh, from actively seeking help I think there is a certain aspect of our society um, and it's not just religion now it it's become this has become secular values as well Um, there's an aspect of our society that shames people for asking for help and for receiving for and receiving help Um, I mean I'm sure we have all experienced uh, either ourselves or witnessed it happening with someone else, that someone offers help that is obviously needed, and the person who it's being offered to uh, refuses and says, I don't take charity. Um, There is a stigma behind receiving help, a stigma in especially American culture, behind not being able to do it all yourself. And that's just, yeah. it's, it's so horribly unhealthy. And you're right. It is, it's gaslighting. It is uh, verging on abuse. It is definitely not a healthy way for humans to live. We are social beings. We naturally live within a network of community, family, and friends. Um, And part of the purpose of that community is to help each other. Um, And one of the aspects of a sharing economy is that not only is there no shame in giving and receiving, but it is helping others and making sure that everyone has what they need is considered a moral and ethical obligation Of all the members of that society So um, it's not uh, It's not only not shameful to receive help But it is um, It is practically a sacred act To allow someone to help you
1: um,
2: well, and, and I,
1: well you know know. Well, I think it's also about reciprocity, right? Because, you know, you may receive today, and when you get yourself together tomorrow, then you... Um, you know, it would be on you to then give, you know, Um, I I know, I, I would always talk about, you know, in goddess classes, don't treat goddess like she's an ATM machine, you know, you don't just go to her and pull out money, you know, ask for this and ask for that and ask for this and ask for that, and never give back in terms of, uh, being of service to her in some way, whatever that looks like, you know, or uh, putting a flower on her altar, whatever it looks like. Uh, but, you know, we're so inclined to be all about me, 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 I, 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 instead of the we and the us. Um, Eric Fromm uh, wrote about that as well, um, a German philosopher um, who I stumbled onto, and I was quite frankly surprised I hadn't heard about it in God of spirituality, Uh, teachings Um, but I I found him on my own and um, and in his writings he actually talked about socialism was actually more in alignment with uh, goddess values i mean I, it just blew my mind i didn't even know people were talking about this i think he wrote this in the 40s maybe mm-hmm. uh and capitalism you know capitalism that needs a downtrodden class to take advantage of for the guy at the top who owns the company to make money um you know th- you know they're more along the lines of um you know patriarchal religions and um, uh, you know it. it so I, I don't know. I wish I wish we could flip a switch, and everybody who uh, understands Goddess would understand this social political concept as well, and um, realize that capitalism is killing us. And if we really wanted to, perhaps embody. Um, spirituality of goddess then we have to rethink capitalism I think uh, is is a big big number one not just patriarchy but capitalism too yeah well capitalism is an outgrowth
2: of patriarchy it's it's, uh, it's a hierarchical dominator kind of construct um, and it it feeds off of divisiveness it feeds off of separating people into different groups Better are then pitted against each other, um, and that's one of actually one of the major reasons that any kind of social safety net is so difficult to enact uh, here in the U.S. Because um, one of the, you don't hear this actually said out loud, because people know that it's really not socially acceptable. But if if we're really honest, one of the reasons that an awful lot of people don't want their taxes going for a social safety net kind of thing that is applied evenly across the population is that they don't want their money going to any of the groups that they dislike, whether that's due mm-hmm. to race or religion or, you know, whatever. Um, and so so the, um, there's that hurdle to overcome uh, as well uh, in terms of being able to have something that resembles a sharing economy um, because one of the values in a matrilineal society is uh, the opposite of divisiveness, right? That the, uh, the acceptance of people, uh, however they are, as long as they are uh, uh, respectful uh, and responsible members of society, so you don't have, you know, Groups of people pitted against each other. You have people helping each other, and uh, and embracing their differences. And that's, uh, I think, that's something we're working toward um, in the modern West. But we are obviously a long way off from actually reaching that goal.
1: Yeah, uh, and I agree with you totally. I mean, coming from the South, um, I think about the swimming pool analogy. Um, And I don't know if if that's going to click with people, but uh, in the South when, um, you know, when when federal law uh, forced segregation and now you couldn't have white only this and that, uh, with the swimming pools, now that the swimming pools were going to have to open to African American kids, Uh, What was the response? Rather than open to African-American kids and everybody enjoy the swimming pools, they closed the swimming pools, you know? So uh, my mother would have called that cutting off your nose to spite your face. So everybody suffered rather than, you know, sharing a little pleasure with somebody who doesn't look like you, you know? Um, We're sick, (laughs) you know, this is a sick society um and uh, i'm just so glad you know that there are more and more people waking up to um uh you know diversity is a good thing not something to be afraid of um but but speaking of fear do you think that's at the heart of the anger um you know people have when you bring up these kinds of subjects well i'm sure that
2: Part, a big part of it is just like uh, just like bringing up these kinds of subjects in academia, uh, bringing up these subjects in the public social sphere threatens the status quo. Um, a lot of people have a, uh, a world view that they have carefully worked out so that they can think of themselves as good people while still um, behaving in... Prejudiced and biased ways, and it can be very threatening. You have to actually look at what you're really doing, look at the effect that you, as a human being, are having on your fellow human beings in the society that you share. It can be very threatening, um, and it's like um, it's like the Tower card in tarot. You know, it can feel like your whole world is is going to explode or collapse and come tumbling down. And so people will fight very hard against even thinking about these things um, and, until they are good and ready to do it,
1: uh, which can take a very long time. Well, I'm also thinking about familiarity. You know, uh, that old saying, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Um, you know, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, the woman who stays with the abusive husband, you know, for instance, um, you know, you right. know, maybe something isn't working, but it's familiar. At least you know what to expect. Um, and, uh, I think maybe it's hard, uh, to make a leap sometimes, um, when something uh, you know isn't already the status quo isn't already proven, um, you know, so we have to make these tiny little uh, painful, tedious incremental steps, uh you know, like maybe the Affordable Care Act, you know, even though it's not perfect, or uh you know some of the other things that we get but don't seem good enough or uh strong enough or complete enough um, you know because to go all the way and have health care for all or have medicare for all you know as examples for instance or have paid child care um, you know all of these things just seem like a bridge too far but in a caring society that valued people i think over greed over money, um, these would be priorities rather than, you know, uh, where they sit in our society. Yes? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So... um, Yeah.
2: Go
1: ahead. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. Well, um, so... Uh, so the Minoan values i mean aside uh, you know caring, sharing society um I mean well, that says a lot in itself, but um can you elaborate on that a little bit? Do we know uh you know you know can we speak to uh, in any more detail uh what maybe that looked like, you know, sure, just on an sure. everyday basis? Okay, so I, I do need to um, draw the distinction.
0: There's
2: sort of a, a a break in the timeline, so to speak, at the time of the Thera eruption, you know, the the volcano that is now the island of Santorini in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, uh, Minoan society changed significantly uh, with the influx of the Mycenaeans, who eventually took over in the last couple of centuries Is considered to be an era of Mycenaean occupation, foreign occupation, on the island of Crete. And so that's a little different. That's got um, a sort of layer of what we might consider uh, conqueror patriarchal values sitting on top of it. But if you look back before that era <clears throat> to the to the time that's uh, sort of purely Minoan, um, what you see is a bunch of uh, large cities on Crete, each one being governed independently by what everyone's best guess is is a council of people rather than single individuals. Okay, so something like uh, something like a parliament or or a city council kind of uh, kind of set up. We see. Resources, uh, physical resources, uh, grain, wine, oil, other foods being stored in the temples to be distributed to the population and to be shared in vast communal feasts in which everyone was fed. Um, That is a a very uh, practical material aspect of a sharing economy is making sure everybody eats. making sure nobody goes hungry. Um, We see that the Minoans were quite a cosmopolitan people. Um, They traded with uh, every culture around the eastern Mediterranean. They appear to have gone all the way across to the far end of the western Mediterranean as well. there were Minoan settlements in major port cities in other regions around the Mediterranean, and there were foreigners settled in the ports on Crete. Um, so they were very welcoming of, uh, of people who were different from them, who came from different places, spoke different languages, maybe looked different, maybe worshipped different gods. Um, and so it's, um, what you see is the kind of uh, the kind of mindset that says, "Hey, look, we're all just human. Uh, let's do our best to get along and help each other out." Um, and I attribute these kinds of values to the the idea that um, if you have a mother goddess at the top of your pantheon, then your primary uh, Cultural values are going to involve taking care of people, compassion, kindness, generosity, um, making sure that everyone is okay. Um, even, uh, even though the Minoans did have, um, toward, especially toward the end, the farther, in time, farther on in time you go, the more economic stratification there is in Minoan cities. Um, It gets really awful during the Mycenaean occupation. But there is some economic stratification even before then. But it's clear that the people who were in charge made sure that nobody was left out. Nobody was left to starve. Nobody was, you know, probably no one was left unhoused. Um, they They had vast, resources they were a very wealthy culture and they chose to spend those resources on their fellow human being having a good life rather than spending those resources on a big fat military that was going to go off to conquer other places
1: yeah spending spending our tax dollars on human capital uh instead of corporate welfare yep yep um so, Samora, so um, ch- just tell us a little bit about maybe uh, one or two of the uh, Minoan goddesses uh, for the folks who uh, might want to hear a little bit more about the spirituality. Oh, okay. Um, so, bearing in mind
2: that modern Minoan paganism is a revivalist uh, tradition, we, uh, we are not trying to reconstruct Religion, the way it was in Minoan times, because we don't feel like we really have the resources to do that completely accurately. So we are uh, we are working in relationship with these deities as modern uh, as modern people. Um, our pantheon is headed by a trio of mother goddesses. Uh, they are the goddesses of land, sky, and sea, the three sacred realms. Uh, so we have Freya the Earth Mother Goddess, Terrasia, the goddess of sun and sky and volcanoes, um, and Posidaea, she is our grandmother ocean. And so those are the mother goddesses who preside over the pantheon of all the deities who are their children, in a sense. Um, and then there's also Ariadne. I'm sure everyone, uh, everyone thinks of Ariadne uh, when they think of the Minoans she was she was
1: and still is a goddess.
2: she was never just a girl with a ball of string.
1: <laughs> that's so funny huh a girl with a ball of string that that sounds yep. like a movie title <laughs> mm. yeah a, a a movie title like the girl with the dragon tattoo the girl with the ball of string mm. um that could that could be an influential movie <laughs> um so uh what do you, what do your- what does your tribe uh do uh in terms of um Trying to bring these caring and sharing ideas um, You know into the modern world
2: Um, Quite a few of us do volunteer work of various sorts and Dedicate it to the deities as sort of an offering Um, I mean we all like to make offerings of incense or pretty flowers on the altar or you know a dish of honey or a glass of wine but uh, I have found that um that what uh what our deities uh value quite often more than anything else is us actually getting out there and doing something to not just to uh improve our little corner of the world but to demonstrate to other people that it can be done
0: um you know you talk
2: about the, the little incremental steps if if enough people show up to clean the beaches or to feed the hungry or whatever needs to be done um, or to lobby for new legislation uh, that protects people uh, in their diversity, um, to me, those are sacred acts. Um, that, that is uh, transforming the world in the image of the great mother goddesses. Mm, so, well said.
0: Uh, I I, yeah. I I like
1: that. I like that a lot. You know, it it's kinda like when we hear about a mass shooting, uh, you know, or uh you hear somebody, you know, is having a hard time, they say, uh, oh, thoughts and prayers you know, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I said, you know, somebody said that to me once when they heard about what Roy and I went through. Oh, but I was praying for you, and I said, you know, it would have been so much more helpful if you'd have just picked up the phone and called me. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, yeah, it's just uh it it's doing these doing these little things uh and not that they're little, you know because they they they're they're a sacrifice, they're an investment of your time, and um and you know and and i I think that's a really good value uh you know to teach out there in God's spirituality, you know instead of the easy. The easy thing you know putting the flower on the altar you know it's actually about uh, it's actually about being in service to humanity to our community um, you know and if if you only do it for selfish reasons because you want to make sure there's going to be somebody there for you if you ever need it right <laughs> you know maybe you start there <laughs> well you got to start
2: somewhere and it's, right it's better to it's better to do something than nothing um, yeah
0: The media
2: sells advertising based on extremism and clickbait and the negative that gains more attention than the positive. So we have to be out there all the time having conversations like this one that you and I are having and uh, talking about these things and doing things out in the world that demonstrate our values. And we have to just keep doing that. You know, what's what's the old say be, um, consistent, insistent and persistent um just keep doing it and eventually oh, I like that. yeah eventually that that wave of force of will um will expand
1: um, Yeah say say that again I've I haven't heard that before Laura Oh I
2: it's actually something I learned uh in terms of uh I've I've heard it in terms of parenting and I've also heard it in terms of uh, doing your uh, creative work. Consistent, insistent and persistent. Hmm. So you just have to keep I like just that. have to keep keep at it. Keep don't let yourself be discouraged. Because yeah. that's what that's what they're counting on is that we'll
1: quit. Well, and also you can't burn yourself out, too, you know, and that's, you know, that's where the self-care comes in, you know, because that's, that's important as well. Um, Well, Laura, have we, um, is there anything I haven't thought to ask you about this um, that we should, that we should bring up? I don't want to miss any important points. Evans, I think we've, I think we've about covered it all. Um, Okay. I mean, it. well, it's, yeah. well, can, would you tell um, listeners, of it? Is, your, is, your, um, is your group on Facebook open to the public? Can anyone join?
2: Um, yeah, the, the Facebook group is Ariadne's Tribe. Um, anyone who is interested in Minoan spirituality is welcome to join. Uh, anyone who's looking to find out more about what we're about um, and would like some more information first, we do have a website. It is Ariadne's Tribes dot WordPress dot com, and that 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 lays out uh, our spirituality, our spiritual practice. Um, It's even got little bios of all the
1: board of directors and everything. Cool. Um, Well, you know, I am gonna I am gonna play one of your spots in a minute here, but before you go, uh, would you tell listeners the titles of some of your books?
2: Ah, okay. Um, Well, if you are interested in modern Minoan paganism, the book to look for is Labrys and Horns, which are, of course, two of the iconic uh, symbols from Minoan culture. Uh, And so it's Labrys and Horns, an introduction to modern Minoan paganism. Um, I have written a Minoan historical novel called The Last Priestess of Malia. um, And a Minoan tarot deck, Am I sensing a theme? Um, but I think what uh, most people would find the most fun is the Minoan coloring book, and so it's it is exactly what it says. It is line drawings taken from Minoan art and artifacts. So you can color the snake goddesses and the dolphin fresco and the bull leapers and all of that. Cool. And yes, I color in my and yes,
1: I color in my own coloring book. I've had people ask for that, <laughs> and the answer is yes. Well, you know what, that's an adult thing now, and it's a great tool to relieve anxiety, uh, you know, put on some great music, get a, a glass of wine, and get your coloring book out, seriously. Absolutely, yes. Well, I, I made it because <laughs> I wanted one and couldn't find one. There wasn't one out there, so that's why I, that's why I did it there you go well Laura I want to thank you uh, you know thank you for being a friend and uh, a great guest and for sharing this wisdom with listeners and uh, if you want to listen to your spot you know uh, you can hang on otherwise uh, you know you can hang up at your um, you know at, at your uh, convenience all right thank you Laura bye-bye for now and here's the, word the Minoans
2: of Ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book. And discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com.
1: Yeah, and I just realized listening to this, we forgot to talk about the uplifting of women. (laughs) Well, you know, um, you probably got that. You know as as we were talking it was it uh, was probably one of those things that uh, didn't have to be said so anyway I hope you are still sticking with me uh, for a bit because I have some other things to share Uh, first a few headlines Uh, this from the Santa Cruz Sentinel California is now a sanctuary state for transgender kids Uh, there's a new law uh, a, a new law restricts California authorities from enforcing laws of other states aimed at criminalizing transgender health care for minors. Uh, also uh, from the Santa Cruz Sentinel, California is also a sanctuary state for abortions. Uh, demand has quadrupled at some California abortion clinics since Roe fell as out-of-state women flock to California to have... Bodily rights uh, from the New York Times uh, according to the FDA abortion pills can now be offered at retail pharmacies as long as they follow the guidelines so we want to follow the story uh, and make sure uh, the other side doesn't uh, put pressure on these pharmacies to not carry uh, the abortion pills um, Reuters uh, had a story out today and the headline is Uh, The DOJ says post offices can continue to deliver prescription abortion medication, yeah. And here's a headline from Karen Tate uh, if you'd like to be included in on my if you'd like to be included in on my tools for transformation monthly newsletter please email me at karen.tate108@yahoo.com 108 at yahoo.com or go to my Facebook page voices of the sacred feminine radio and leave me your email address yep so um, what I thought I would share with you before the show ends, uh, because I think, I mean, you know, we're obviously still in the season of winter. Um, was uh, a short writing by carolyn lee boyd uh, to the feminist and religion blog Uh, you may or may not know this wonderful blog Uh, so many wonderful contributors there Uh, their writing actually helped me through many dark days uh, distracting me inspiring me informing me supporting me Um, And you'll be hearing from a number of these contributors uh, in the coming months uh, because some of them have agreed to come here and be my guest. And one of these women, uh, as I said, wrote this piece I'm about to share with you. Um, It's a seasonal piece which I don't feel is dated yet uh, because, like I said, we are still in the season of winter. And it's titled The Gifts of the Winter Solstice Goddesses and it's by Carolyn Lee Boyd. In the midnight hour of the darkest night, they ride through the magic forest, bells jingling alone or leading a wild entourage, giving gifts and sometimes punishments. Hole, Frogode, Pershta, La Benfana, and Lady Hera have made their raucous spirit rides between winter solstice and epiphany for centuries or even millennia. Good or bad, will they bestow upon us this year? On the winter solstice, Patricia Monahan says Hole, also known as Holda and by other names, traveled the world in her wagon and checked the quality of each woman's spinning work and offered rewards or punishments. Who was she? Well Max Daschau reminds us that Hole was an earth goddess and the mother of all life and the great healer. However, Hole was also originally the death goddess and she controls the regeneration of nature. For Hole is the mother of the dead, bread was baked at Christmas time, called holenzoth meaning holes bread, and I'm spelling that H-O-L-L-E, um, and that was according. Uh, this holes bread was according to Maria Gimbutas. Meanwhile, Frau gold F. R-A-U-G-O-D-E, another form of hole, rode in a wagon drawn by dogs, sending one into any house with an open door to bark for a year. The next year, the beleaguered residents could relieve themselves of the pet by firmly closing the door as Frau Gode rode by, according to Patricia Monahan. Whole sister Perchta also rode and punished spinners who wasted wool, stuffing the remnants into the spinner's torn open stomach. Wow, these are—you um, know these ladies would be uh, good candidates for uh, horror movies. Uh, January 6th was Perchta's day when everyone ate pancakes of meal and milk in her honor and left bits for Perchta. Uh, more benevolently, okay, here we're getting into the the uh, kind stuff. Uh, Italy's La Benfana is an old woman who rides her broomstick on the night of January 5th, the eve of Epiphany, giving gifts to good children and coal, garlic, and turnips to those who were bad, according to the late, great Lydia Rule. Finally, Dachau tells us, That uh, Rhinelanders into the early 1400s believed that Lady Hera, not the Greek goddess of the same name, flew through the air between Christmas and Epiphany with bells and gave an abundance of gifts. These goddesses are sage guides as we traverse this liminal solstice when the sun stands still. A season when to our ancestors who revered or placated them, death from cold or starvation as well as the promise of spring was always present. Who are they and what gifts of guidance do they bring us now when dire environmental and other crises as well as radiant opportunities for individual and global healing are on the horizon? These goddesses are old, fierce, insightful and commanding. Some were associated with witches. They unapologetically flex their might. We grow their kind of sagacity and self-confidence only through decades of navigating trauma and victory, but rarely do we see role models like this for our, our own old age. Their gift is to show us how to not only revere them, but be them when we need to do so. The goddesses are intensely passionate about what they do and stand for, whether it be respect for daily work well, the moral education of children, or generosity as a way of life. These aspects of everyday life are to be honored. Their gift is to remind us that the effects of our choices of who to be, what to value, and how to live every day will reverberate throughout time as we influence those of the next generation and offer them our own gifts the goddesses are not judgmental not delighting in finding fault but are instead truthful they reward or punish both women and children based on what has been done well or not without excuses or favor this gift is understanding that insight into the reality of our actions is necessary for our own growth and effectiveness and to best decide our next course wisely personally and collectively Not a bad thing at a time of year when we're looking at uh, New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, And just to go on to Carolyn's, um, to, to finish her piece here. The nearness of the goddesses during this season forces us to realize that the human and spirit worlds are just a breath away from one another, something our ancestors understood as a fact of everyday life. The gift is a deeper understanding that we can be grounded in our everyday world while being open to the influence of these and other goddesses on ourselves and our world. At the same time, we can heed Frau Gud's warning about carelessly leaving the door between our realm open when it is time for the gateway between them to close. Finally, remember that these goddesses had their origin in the death goddess and are associated through spinning, to fate. They offer us the essential truth that letting go and endings are necessary for life to regenerate. In addition, the goddesses remind us that this regeneration happens through the miracle of gifts, whether that is the earth renewing herself each spring so that living things can thrive, or of the compassion and love of humanity these goddesses show by traveling through our world each year, bestowing abundance or our own acts on behalf of others that create hope for the future. These gifts are so much more meaningful than the toys in Santa's sack given For conforming to society's norms of goodness the true gift of these goddesses is and our own world's wildness and wholeness our respect for our fierce selves and life experience our participation in life with untamed and undomesticated passion our ability to see ourselves and our actions truthfully and accept either congratulations or consequences and our giving of our own spiritual and creative largesse this solstice season and for those in the south at the next winter solstice let's join the wild ride with our sisters across the earth and our own time giving our own wisdom and abundance to ourselves each other and our planet and again that was by Carolyn Lee Boyd and it is the feminist and religion blog so um, Before I close for today, um, let me share with you this month's uh, remaining guests that are going to be on the show. Uh, Next Wednesday at 11 o'clock Pacific is Mara Branscombe and our topic is Ritual as Remedy to Heal Our Soul or Life Wounds. Then we have a special date and time to accommodate the wonderful foremother, my mentor, whose work put me on this path more than 30 years ago. That's Rhianne Eisler, yes, Rhianne Eisler of the Chalice and the Blade fame, who also wrote The Partnership Way and Sacred Pleasure. She is with me discussing her newest book nurturing our humanity which is our show topic rianne will be with me at 1 o'clock Thursday January 9th so instead of Wednesday at 11 it will be this um, one exception because she's worth it uh, at 1 o'clock Thursday January 19th the following day so you won't want to miss uh, our interview Then the last Wednesday of the month, uh, 11 Pacific, January 25, the incredible artist Judith Shaw is with me and we're discussing storytelling and divination as remedies for healing. Quite an interesting alternative healing modality I think you're going to want to hear about. So uh, that about does it for me today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please tell your friends and share the word that Karen Tate is back. Uh, my work is where spirituality and social justice meet. And uh, as I've said, you've heard about my descent, but now I am back and I'm on the rise. So please go to my Facebook page. I'm consolidating all my pages very shortly, and the only page I'll have on Facebook is called Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. Uh, Please follow me there. There will be much more information um, in the days and weeks to come besides just radio show information. Uh, Check... uh, check on my new tools for transformation website also at karen um, it's quite beautiful and uh, i so appreciate uh, the woman who has created that for me and i'll leave you with this food for thought today um, and really think about this don't just say nah are you enduring abuse to survive at home at work in society and academia with your religion or in social media, wherever it is, abuse and exploitation is not normal. It's not just the way things are. We've been gaslit and conditioned to accept it as the way it is, and that there's nothing that can be done about it. (coughs) Excuse me. Start asking yourself about the quality of your life. Start looking for options and exits to escape the abuse and resulting trauma that you might be enduring. And uh, on to our Lady of Strength, uh, healing and tenacity. Sekmet the Sun guide usun guide us. Uh, sun goddess, help us find our sacred roar and the lioness within. So with that um, I uh, will let dear Sekmet uh, end the show for us. Goodbye, dear listeners, uh, for this week. Uh, Thank you for your listener loyalty. I hope you will be back with me each and every week. And uh, you can actually hit the subscribe button on uh, the show page at uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, and uh, that will also send you a reminder in your inbox, I believe, about the show. Uh, So please go there and join, and uh, also please, if you'd like to follow my work, uh, go to the Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio Facebook page. That about does it. I hope you had a great holiday. Uh, and uh, you're enjoying winter, and please uh, stay warm and dry. I know there's a huge storm coming in. Um, I hope you'll sit back with a glass of something warm and listen to the show if you didn't catch it live. Uh, So best wishes and enjoy. This final close uh, from SEPMET.